Um, so yeah, this morning um, we're continuing to work, walk, work our way through the book of Romans. Um, uh, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, would you believe? Uh, the main theme of the letter um, is the revelation of God's judging and saving righteousness in the gospel, uh, which means good news um, of Jesus Christ. Um, in the cross of Christ, God judges sin, yet at the same time, he manifests his saving mercy. Um, in chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17, Paul presents what you might call a thesis statement um, of the book of Romans. And then he kind of like spends the rest of the book explaining what that thesis statement means. Um, and these two verses, uh, 16 and 17, are what Derek's been preaching on for the last three weeks. Um, and it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, in fact, I think that the whole book of Romans can probably be brought right down to these six words, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, another, in another translation, in your little note beside the verses in your Bible, you'll see that it says it could say, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. The one who is by faith righteous shall live. I particularly like this. Um, firstly, the reason that uh, there's different translations or different... Uh, yeah, different translations of the Bible is because the Bible was written in um, Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And anyone that's done a language other than English knows that you can't translate word for word from any language into English. You have to kind of translate sentences, try and work out what that sentence means and then translate it across. So... Um, this is the reason why there are different translations and why sometimes it's good to look at a couple of um, sound translations for it can sometimes give you a fuller meaning of what the author was actually trying to get at in the first place. Um, and uh, the other thing that you need to know is that the Bible is God's word and... Most importantly, it's the truth. Um, an atheist who'd be converted to Christianity once told me that atheists don't know that the Bible is actually truth or a source, a source, the source of truth. So, back to today. This, um, this is the gospel. Uh, gospel simply means good news. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And you might argue, why, why do I need this good news? Um, how is a bloke who died on a cross over 2,000 years ago good news to me? Or maybe the question, why do I need to live by faith in Jesus Christ? 
And I guess Paul could have more bluntly said, the one who does not live by faith shall die. Maybe, maybe this is clearer. Um, as Derek said last week, to be justified or made righteous means that we are made right with God. The gospel is the power of God to save believers because the gospel, in the gospel, God gives us what we need and what we can never produce on our own, which is his righteousness. The righteousness that he demands from us, he freely gives us if we will trust him. This is the great biblical truth of justification by faith. Today's passage um, that Noah read earlier seems like a bit of a downer because it only talks about sin and the effects of sin. But I think that because Paul saw fit to write this to the Christian community in Rome, it's very important for us to understand. Paul begins his argument in verse 18 for the wrath of God. Now notice the word for, which connects back to the previous two verses. The word for indicates that there's some very important information coming. I think I asked this once before. Do you know what the biggest problem that mankind is facing? Think about that for a sec. It's, um, It's not vegan activists. It's not COVID. It's not global warming. It's not Muslim radicals. It's actually not child slavery. It's not the abuse of women. It's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not that somehow God's a forever angry deity stomping around in heaven every time there's a thunderstorm. God is a God of love. And the wrath of God is God's own personal righteous response in anger against sin. We need the righteousness of God because it's the only thing that can protect us from the wrath of God. And we need to be protected from the wrath of God because we are unrighteous by nature. Human nature is that we don't like God and we don't want him in our lives. And I think this is the point of what Paul is trying to get across in this passage this morning. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. When we think about punishment, the first excuse we always put up is, but, but I didn't know. And it was certainly a well-used excuse when I was at boarding school. It wouldn't matter what it was, but so I didn't know. It didn't actually hold a lot of water back then. And Paul is saying that because of the evidence of God's creation, we have no excuse. There's so many examples of God's mark on creation that I'm sure 
you could give me oodles and oodles of examples, but I particularly like this one. When I was, um, uh, we were doing a, a nutrition w- workshop for cattle quite some years ago, and, uh, and this guy was telling us about how cow's stomach works. A cow's got four stomachs, and uh, the rumen, the reticulum, the omasum, and the abomasum. And the first two compartments, the rumen and the reticulum, act as a fermentation vat in which plant material is broken down by millions of microorganisms. At birth, a calf's rumen is small and doesn't function. It it develops and grows very quickly so that by the time a calf is about eight weeks old, its rumen is able to break down plant material. The reticulum also contains an esophical groove, which is an important little part or little organ for suckling calves and lambs. And uh, basically, the way it works is when a calf reaches up to drink the milk from his mother's udder, the little valve in his neck makes that milk go down into the right compartment. If you feed a calf or a lamb from milk on the ground, they become what we call a potty, little pot, little pot gut, and they don't do any good at all for the first period of their lives. Everyone, everyone knows that. And this guy who was telling us this was saying, and, and luckily, luckily, this esophical groove, as the calf puts his head up, makes the milk run into the right stomach. Now, boy, oh boy, if you think that's luck, like seriously, <laughs> seriously, do we think that that is just luck? Like, I mean, I've seen some lucky tries on the footy, but man, that, for every calf on earth to have that happen, is not just luck. There's got to be some design there somewhere. Like I say, you can give countless items and and examples out of God's creation that is not just luck. Um, In the face of extreme evidence about God, mankind does not want to believe. So we suppress the truth. Scientists suppress the truth. There's overwhelming evidence to suggest creation, but a lot of them actually want you to believe some crazy story about a miraculous explosion that created a perfect world. Now, I've blown some stuff up in my time, and nothing ever came down right. (laughs) Honest. Not one thing. Now, do you know that even in science, you have to have repeatable proof, right? It's, 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 you have to be able to test something, get an outcome, you have to repeat it, you have to have it happen again. Right? There's not, that I know of, one evidence of an explosion that's created anything good, constructive, that grew into a perfect world. Let's not start on the Big Bang Theory, let's not start about evolution, I should say. Because verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul is saying, 
that everyone is guilty and deserves the wrath of God. There's no excuse for anybody for not honouring God. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, John Piper says that Paul's teaching about why society degenerates into unrestrained, debauched, destructive evil is like is unlike any analysis that you would read today. One of the reasons for this is that when a society is sinking into moral decay, one of the traits of that decay is the inability to see what's happening. The social mind becomes so defective in the moral decadence that it doesn't have the categories or the framework to recognise evil for what it really is. We live in such a day. He was speaking in America, but I think here in Australia that is 100% true as well. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Even the most, you know, even the most brilliant-minded person who does not honour God will miss the whole purpose of life and therefore is a complete and utter fool. Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. How sad. In biblical times, these items of idolatry would be representations um, made out of stone or wood or precious metals like gold. These days, idolatry can take um, a more modern form. And uh, Sal's going to play a little clip in a sec. And I found this little clip on Facebook yesterday and um, I played it to Sal last night. I said, do you think that's funny? And she kind of had this like deadpan look in her face like, no. So, you know, you kind of just um, have to let her sit for a bit and think about it. But um, I actually think that it's an interesting little thing about worship and idolatry. <clears throat> goes on. It's actually about the cost of running a car, but I just thought the first little bit was actually quite apt and quite funny. I mean, um, yeah, who knew there was so much idolatry back in the 70s, eh? 
what were they thinking, worshipping a 1969 model Ford Escort? Did you see that thing? Like, really? Although I actually think this clip's nailed it. Um, idolatry is whatever we worship that isn't God. Or it's a modification of, of the God of the Bible. It's actually changing God to suit what we might want him to look like. Uh, it might be even to change God to fit our theology. Idolatry is the refusal to make God the centre. And mankind claiming to be wise gives greater worth to something other than God. And so God reveals his wrath in the following ways. In verses 24, 26 and 28, Paul says three times how God gave them up. And does this sound strange to you that God would give people over to sinful practices? And now this is actually not an isolated instance in scripture. Acts 7.41 says during the speech of Stephen that uh, that was the time before they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honour of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies, which means the stars and other stuff, which is what they were wanting. Today in verse 24 it says here, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonouring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Even though God has made it plain to them, they failed to honour him. And he gives them up to the very sin that they pursue. God has made himself clearly seen, but when people don't honour him, in his wrath, he lets them feel the effects of sin. It's kind of, he takes the handbrake off and just lets them experience a little bit of what they're wanting. God's first response in their rebellion against him is not to send them straight to hell immediately, but to allow them, just remember God is in control of this world, to allow them to sink into the swamp that they have chosen. Verse 26 says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonourable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The rise of same-sex unions in Australia and, and same-sex marriage in Australian society today is a result of the wrath of God. Giving Australians and Australian society up to dishonourable passions. Make no mistake, homosexuality is the defiling of God's creation. It's telling God, you know, you made a mistake. You, you kind of made us like that and like that, but we know better. If God made you a male, being a male is his plan for you. 
If he made you female, being female is his plan for you. To do otherwise is to totally disregard God, is to totally dishonour him, to totally snub him. And in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul lists a further 21 things that a deprived mind might contain. And, by the way, um, all these other things deserve the wrath of God just the same as homosexuality does. It's not listed in there as a a big stick. It's actually all listed there together. Uh, They were filled with all manner manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. All of these things are sinful and the result of sin. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Have you noticed how persuasive people can be in their rebellion? Have you ever been to a party where there's this immense pressure to take alcohol or drugs? Especially to skull alcohol, to get... To get. People do not generally sin in ignorance, but they're... Their evil goes further when they applaud others for joining in. They're only trying to make themselves better about the evil they've chosen. And so it says three times God gave them up. He gave them up to these three things. He gave up their hearts to impurity. He gave them up to dishonourable passions and to a debased mind, which means a valueless mind a, mind, a mind without values. And he did this because of idolatry. He did this because, the three reasons, they exchanged the glory of God for images residing, resembling man, birds and animals. The second thing is they didn't honour him as God or give thanks to him. And the third thing is they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Did you know that all other religions are based on false ideas of the one true God? They are, as people would might want you to think, they are never different paths to the same God as they might claim. They are worshipping idols. So, uh, these three mistakes, these three things... How do we do them? How do we glorify God? How do we honour him? And how do we uphold the truth about God? I'm going to suggest, perhaps radically, that there's nothing we can do except believe. Wow. And that take the wind out of the big pep talk. There's nothing we can do. 
John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Hmm. Romans 1.16 that we looked at last week says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believing in Jesus gives him all the glory. Unbelief despises him. Believing in Jesus honours him. Unbelief dishonours him. And believing in Jesus, it's because he's the truth about God. Unbelief makes Jesus out to be a liar. And as we um, talked to Ted this morning about John 14.6, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word believe in the Bible doesn't mean have a knowledge about. It means really believe. Actually believe it so much that it changes your whole life. That's what belief means. It doesn't mean believe what you want so that you'll get it. It means we empty ourselves of all ambition and accept life through him. This belief leads us to the knowledge that in him we have everything. But in ourselves we have nothing. In him we have forgiveness which brings life. Without him we have no forgiveness which leads to God's wrath. As I said at the beginning, the problem that mankind, the problem, the problem this whole earth is facing is the wrath of God. Both now and on judgment day. It's a tragic situation that unbelievers are under because they have no excuse and are doomed to wrath. For goodness sake, don't be afraid to share this good news about Jesus. The answer is not try really hard to be good. The answer is to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin because as 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus took the punishment for the full wrath of God for the sins of mankind, past, present and future. When it says in Romans 3.25 that Jesus was put forward by God as propitiation by his blood that we received by faith, that means that Jesus' death on the cross absorbed the wrath of God. And this is a gift that we receive by faith, that is, by believing. He absorbed the punishment for our unrighteousness, but by faith we receive his righteousness. The righteous live by faith, not by trying to be righteous. Remember, the one who by faith is righteous will live 
So this morning, um, 